They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Hello, Lizza. Welcome to Bad Boy Running. It's me, David Hellard. That's right. There was a pause, and no one else said, and me. Ah, oh, Jody's away, but the wonderful Ali Bailey is on board with this week, which is obviously the good news. The slightly less good news is that Ali sadly has has fled the capital city, our fine home of London, and now lives in the countryside. She's got some new internet, and we only discovered after or during the intro section of this podcast that the upstairs internet connection is pretty ropey. So, she moved downstairs. Rest of the podcast hopefully is sorted. Amazing episode coming out with Rob Pope. He's run across America five times. The man is a legend. But it does mean that I've recorded this section to try and give Nick some kind of chance of creating an intro from the material we've already got. So thank you for listening. It will get better in future weeks because I've sorted out my tech at my end now, I think. Um, And we now know that Ali has to sit downstairs. And J.D., his take's always good because, you know, he's, he's one of those rich people that can afford Max and stuff. But uh, we'll be better in the future. Yeah, bad boy guarantee. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the potty. And here comes the magic by the magic man, Mr. Nick. Well, next guest you've probably heard about quite a few times, I'd imagine. And he spoke at the National Running Show, and he's known for looking like and running like Forrest Gump because he's currently four fifths of the way through running back and back and back and back and back across America. So, um, here to speak to us about this ridiculous mission and ridiculous haircut is uh, Rob Pope. Welcome to the podcast. Yay! you got to remember, though, it's not a ridiculous haircut now. It was a ridiculous haircut on September the 14th of 2016. The hair hasn't been touched since. I was going to say, like, you've got some hair going on there, man. You're like the Kings of Leon when they were cool. <laughs> I would certainly take that call if they wanted to ring. I'm a very average bass player, but uh, their stuff's not the most technical, so I reckon I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the, the thing that, that struck me actually when you did London is you're clearly a very, very fast runner, not just the... Um, yeah, naturally before you were doing all this mileage. I mean, what, what was your background before you got into all of this? Uh, well, I, I sort of did a bit, you know, as uh, the old cross-country at school, uh, you know, sort of half nine on a stand, sort of uh, freezing my bits off in a, on Liverpool playing field. Uh, then when I went, went to uni, sort of, uh, you know, sort of as a lot of people sort of seem to just drift away from running maybe in the search of more fun. It's only really when we get to sort of our age we realise you can still have that fun and run. I ended up moving to Australia and um, thought, well, me, Mouthy Scouser, it's probably not a good idea sort of turn on an Australian footy pitch, let alone an Aussie Aussie rules pitch. So I joined an athletics club to uh, try and find some mates and I uh, just got into uh, training again. Uh, yeah, suddenly my legs seemed... Who'd, who'd have thought running with people who are quicker than you and, uh, and a lot of fun to be around would make you quicker as well? So, um, yeah, it got get a lot quicker and... Uh, things fell into place 
And, and so at what point did you start changing from just being, uh, you know, your, your, your standard fast runner to actually thinking, I want to do something different? Uh, oh God. I you know, sort of, uh, as John Lennon said, you know, sort of, he's a dreamer, but he wasn't the only one. And I think it might be a, a scouse thing to uh, to want to do something crazy and change the world. And I'd, I'd always wanted to run across America for for a long time just to uh, see some of the sights. Really, I figured uh, it might be a nice sort of way to see things at a different pace. But I even thought when I was in Australia, maybe run run across there. But you know, apart from maybe West Texas, everything in Australia wants to kill you. So that that uh, that design got shelved. Although I did actually progress to the point of buying a jogging stroller to uh, to allow me to do the journey over there. Um, and then it was just sort of yeah. I I think I'm a little bit early for a midlife crisis. But I suppose if you live life in the fast lane, maybe it happens earlier on. And um. I just wanted to do something that would make a difference. My mum sort of said to me before she died, you know, do one thing in your life that makes a difference. And, you know, it's a bit of a humdinger when you're 20-odd to think, what's that going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought, well, I could run across America, but do it for charity. And then you start thinking, well, what makes mine unique? Because about 300 people also have run across America, mm-hmm. uh, which is about, I think, well, uh, I think about a tenth of the number of been up Everest but, but you know it's not not unique and then um, you know did a, do, a, do the four corners go from the North Pole to the South Pole you know sort of, uh, not a big fan of the cold so you know that was never really going to wash um, and then just like you know the whole thing I actually did a survey when I was in the States of um, when I was in the Midwest of the most famous long distance runners in the world and I had to stop at 50 rather than 100 because uh, most of the time the answer I got was a dinner. It was getting a little bit disheartening. Um, so apart from a couple of votes for uh, Oprah and OJ Simpson and uh, uh, quite a few for Pre, um, I think about 32 of the 50 said Forrest Gump. And then you think, well, you know, I was at the home at the time and that whole run about Forrest Gump, you know, is it possible? And uh, there's been articles written on it. And I just thought, well, let's see what the route actually was. And then I spent sort of years on and off just looking at what what the weather was like in Kansas in February, you know, and it would would it fit in with this whole thing. And then um, moved back from Australia. The job that I was in at the time wasn't sort of really what I wanted to be in. And I just thought it's now or never. And I um, told everybody I was going to do it. Uh, I told people I was going to run across it a few times. You know, called BS on this one and said, Are you actually going to do it this time or just talk about it? So I was like, Yep, I'll. I'll suddenly I booked a flight and uh, it was getting very, very real. Um, and I found myself in, in Alabama in September of 2016. And, and with the. Did, did you find out how that route was created for, for the film? Was it just. Um, selection of towns that they linked up did they have a mileage in mind did they just do a weird on the map I know that they talked to two transcon runners uh, including sort of one guy um, sort of called John Peel uh, you know looked pretty much like Forrest uh, and then another guy who was the, the one who actually came up with the, uh, the quote you know when I was hungry I ate and when I was tired I slept um, and I just think, obviously, you know, they decided the, the book Forrest Gump was written, and he was born in Mobile, Alabama. Um, of course, 
mostly says from Greenbow, Alabama. That just doesn't exist. So that's why I started my run there. Um, I don't know why they picked a particular landmark. You know, it's obviously somewhere cool. Uh, as it happens, Tom Hanks lives in Santa Monica, so maybe he uh, maybe he called the first location, um, and then beyond that, you know, so it's about almost as far as you can go north and east to that lighthouse in Maine. Um, I took my route, obviously using these landmarks, but there's a, a map behind a newsreader that you see uh, as he crosses the Mississippi for the fourth time. And uh, I followed that route, although just as like you could probably imagine from someone who's enough to do something like this, I put a bit more research in and realised that on the third leg they'd drawn the map a little bit badly. It had gone too far south because you see him in the film running through Montana and that red line on the map doesn't go anywhere near there, so I had to uh, alter it. So my, my map's the more accurate. So I've seen how bad news readers can draw, so um, yeah, if, if you want to see what he did, you follow my map. And then after it got to leg four and across the Mississippi, um, I could pretty much choose exactly where I went after that because I just had to hit a couple of landmarks, which is Grandfather Mountain, uh, another ocean, uh, um, and then Famous flagstaff and head up to the desert okay so Rob, so Rob just one just a question like so how far did you act uh, did you actually go or have you actually got to go like what what is the um miles or kilometers or however you want to you want to do it like how far is it well in terms of thing you know before we were saying four fifths of the way through sort of uh depends which way you look at i'm actually the, the whole thing has been done now like sort of um fifteen thousand and 607 miles um it's just that in the film forrest stops in the middle of nowhere you know sort of an um and you know he's just he's just sick of it or he, he's a broken man who knows um and he just goes home so i managed to um when they did all the you know the routes and stuff there's been a few up with some figures um the first one that was around was 15,248 miles oh dude and uh, dude. What? just say that again yeah. say it again that's ludicrous. <laughs> Fifteen thousand two hundred and forty-eight miles. Yeah, that's how that's how many miles I did last year on my on my Strava. That's a lot of miles. Yeah. <laughs> does, does it sound like I'm getting a bit blasé about it? Yeah, that's mental. <laughs> that is mental amounts of running. Completely mental. <laughs> um, and yeah, then there was an article which was talking about could Forest have actually um, completed his run, um, and they quote. 19,000 miles but that was just never going to be the case because my longest crossing was um, 4,000 miles and um, you know so the, some of them that you see on the map are actually quite short so they just hadn't done the research properly then a geek from BuzzFeed uh, does a great one and he comes up with 13,338 and I was hurting pretty bad at this point and I just realised I might have got an easy get out <laughs> And I realised I, I couldn't actually get to Grandfather Mountain and the coast, um, you know, before that. I actually sort of thought, right, okay, let's just go for the 15248. Now, there was a slight hitch with this because um, on the third leg in Montana, uh, sorry, Minnesota, my girlfriend had come back out to support me a little bit. Um, and unbeknown to her, we found out while we were there in a place called Fergus Falls, I, I get back from a run one day and uh, she or the RV that we were in and she goes I've got a bit of news for you I don't think you're going to like it very much and I was like baby and she goes baby oh, and I was amazing. like right. 
<laughs> can, yes. I, can I just ask, has she been with you for a, a, a long period? No, he'd picked her up at, uh, he'd picked her up at petrol station. She hadn't station. just flown in, had she? He'd picked her up at petrol station. She was new. <laughs> well, you said I was quick, but I'm not that quick. Um, yeah, like I so said, we'd been together for about sort of um, probably about eight years, and she'd supported me from the first like all the way. Well, basically. Santa Monica and then we turned around and then got as far as Jackson, Tennessee before she had to go home uh, just because we were out of money basically that was me not in an RV but me pushing a stroller and then um, we went I had to go home every now and again just because uh, hint for anyone who's listening if you want to do this be independent wealthy and be American otherwise it's really hard <laughs> that's actually um, something I want to come back to is how the hell do you finance something like this because yeah, I don't understand I'll, it don't, don't, don't ask I'll just I'll start sobbing gently um, and so I went home in June um, and sort of we think that's where the event happened and uh, so it was actually weird because the day before she told me I finished for the day like in the nearest uh, parking space to this really awesome crossroads by like a proper, you know, level American style level crossing and took a photo as the sun went down and you know, you know, talk about a metaphor. And so yeah, the the thing is, like I said, that was all great, you know. I actually it wasn't bad news for me. She thought it might I might have been a bit upset because of the run. It was only a little bit while later when I got upset because I realised that she wasn't going to be able to be at the end, you know, with the time to fly to be safe. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, it's just like oh that's the worst and I was running and I was just I had a friend of mine like when I was about to start the fifth leg and he says you don't want to do it do you mate you just want to come back home and I said yeah to be honest you know I, yeah, I can genuinely see why at the end of the run Forrest was just like yeah no that's it because I genuinely don't think I could have gone much further you know hey Rob um, you know that Forrest I Gump got... was an imaginary character and not a real person right no I've seen a documentary on telly <laughs> I hope you've not seen it. It's that good. He goes to Vietnam and everything, but it's, uh, no, it's it's very realistic. <laughs> um, and and then, so- yeah, I was running a long, and then I just realised, you know, quite often in life you make things harder for yourself for no particular reason. And I was like, why are you sad? And I was like, well, because. Obviously, I had, I had lots of time for inner monologue. Um, and I would be like, well, it's because Nadine can't be there at the end. And I just said, well, just go home and have the baby and come back with the pair of them. So ascertained that that was going to be possible in terms of getting a passport and that she actually would want to come out. And um, so I did a couple of little detours. Um, so my 15,248 um, mile mark happened instead of Monument Valley at the end. Uh, just outside the Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona, um, where I wrote the 15248 Forest was um on a, on a girder that was sticking out of the ground with a Sharpie that I had. And then, so my athletic ambition was like properly fulfilled at that point. And it was actually excellent that that happened because it meant I got a private moment. So I was very well aware that the end of the run was going to be, you know, pretty well. We wanted it to be for the. the you know, like we wanted a lot of coverage. And I went back home, and a uh, baby B was born. And uh, when she was three weeks old, I'd left I'd left her uh, two hundred miles to go until the very finish. Because um, you know that bit in in the film where he gets the mud on his face and wipes it, and it's the having a nice day T-shirt. Yeah. 
looks at the now deserted Twin Arrows trading post, uh, and I figured, what an amazing place to be to, to actually finish that run. And you know, if I went back, because I was desperately paranoid that I was not going to get let back into the country uh, by immigration, just because my previous entry, they grilled me for like about half an hour, and the guy who grilled me had never film which made it uh, it's just like yeah this fellow was about sort of 35 and i wanted to say to him are you actually but of course you don't that's u.s immigration officers and um yeah i managed to get back in and um got to the end and it was all it was all very good so <laughs> so when they when they'd originally um as, as you mentioned they it goes back and forth three yeah. times on the map yeah uh, is that actually on roads you know is that a specific route or were did it make sense when you started looking at how yeah. to do it like sort of it does like sort of uh, like, my map now i've gone a bit further it's pretty cool because it looks like a whale and obviously running for the world wildlife fund that was a very you know sort of fantastic thing but um my my map generally looks very much like forest with uh, forest with two slight exceptions i go further north than them in the summer because i hit Montana, and then um, I, you know, obviously, um, Death Valley, famous for the Bad Water Race. Mm. I ran through that, uh, and it snowed. You know, it's famous for being like the hottest place on earth. And I was running there in like two inches of snow, um, and so I didn't really want to hit northern Utah and stuff like that in um, in, in in that time of year. So I went a little bit further south, but they're very good approximations. If if he continued on in one go, it would have looked like that. And how long did he? In the film, did it take him to finish the challenge? Like, what kind of mileage a day was he supposedly doing? Yeah, so in the film, uh, Forrester runs for three years, two months, 14 days and 16 hours. Um, And so presuming it was that distance, he's he's covering around a half marathon a day. Um, But I'm going to tell you a bit of a, a, a flaw in that plot. The reason why I got my hair cut on the September the 14th and started the next day was um, Forrest started on September the 15th, and you know that because when he runs past the barber shop, mm. there's a news report on talking about President Carter collapsing in the 10K race in Maryland that day. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, you pinpointed it to September the 15th, 1979. Did you actually now, he... do that research yourself, or was that something that everyone knew? Uh, it was disputed online. Some people said October the 1st because there's a picture of him on um on, on the front cover of time magazine uh, by on october the first but then um you see that and so, someone else who's a bit more geekish had found that so i had to dig for this info but then someone <laughs> says if you listen to that news broadcast and it's just like right so obviously time being a non-weekly publication i think is a was just a little bit late to that story so um it's finish uh, you see see him sitting in his house and it cuts to the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan. Now that was the 30th of March 1981 which is only 18 months and 15 days and so uh, my goal was to do the 15.248 in that time. Um, Now that would have been March the 30th from my finish date so that was my deadline and Baby B's due date was March the 27th. So, So I had to like properly um, get my skates on, and um, you know, so I, I was really, really struggling with injury on that on that final leg, and I also had a big bout of food poisoning that laid me up for five days. Um, I lost a stone, 
just in five days, which is rough. Um, and so I actually got there with a reasonable time to spare. I think it was like about the 12th of March. So, uh, so I managed to check in in enough time. And secretly, because I knew I was 200 miles from the end, for my own sort of personal well-being in the future, I wanted to know that I could have got to the actual finish in Monument Valley by March the 30th if I wanted to. And I, w- I would have been fairly comfortable on that. So uh, not that I'm point scoring with Old Forest, but I did do it a bit quicker. <laughs> and um, so how many miles did, a day did that equate to for you? Was, it, was, it, was that 13 miles a day then? or Mine was 37 a day. So which, because 13 miles a day is... It's impressive, like, you know. It's like... Yeah, but it's something which, you know, we could, we just, some of us listeners would just do as part of our training for a big event. Yeah. Whereas 37 miles a day is, yeah, especially over that length of time, is you're really, really talking big mileage now. Yeah, it's sort of weird. Like, sort of, um, I, I was very surprised. I had no real, you know, sort of thought that I was going to finish it. Like, all I wanted to do was just get to that first ocean because then I could say I'd run across America and that was it um, and I got injured twice on that first leg alone and so uh, beyond that like once I turned around it was just a case of going as far as I could how I could and um, you know sort of, like, I had like sort of uh, periods where I was probably averaging you know sort of uh, you know in the high 40s like sort of, I think I did like sort of uh, one week where I did like 350 odd miles um, I'm sorry and, I'm sorry let's go back <laughs> One week where you did 350-odd miles. Yeah, it was something like that. Um, but it was weird. That's like, mental. You just get used to it. You get used to it. And um, I, I, I felt at the time, like, you know, I've finished work today and I'm knackered. And some some days I would finish those <laughs> but, you know, days of running and I'd be fine. Like, um, I was just really conscious of the fact that, you know, when I was doing these days, it quite often it was dictated, especially when I was in Wyoming, I had no option but to do at least 40 miles a day because that was the, the distance between anything, you know, like water, you know, sort of food, somewhere to stay. Um, and then I was also conscious of Transcon where I, you know, pushed it a bit further. I don't know if I go up to quite Pete Costelnik's level where, but, you know, I was conscious of the fact that I was trying to be in this for the 18-month period and not, not go too crazy. But then I'm, a, I'm very well aware that 37 miles a day is crazy, uh, but needs must. Can I ask something, and Rob? So like, like, like basically, basically with, with the whole... How did you finance it? Like, I know you're raising money for WWF, but how did you finance this? And also how did you project manage it because you need obviously support you need crew you need stuff dropped off you need you know if you're if you're running as far as gump i'm sure you pretty much need to change your outfits and 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 have it filmed so <laughs> that was the best part what, of the what was what was your project management thing for this did you crowdfund like i'm just fascinated by how people manage to achieve these mental things without having to go to work nine to five yeah, well, that's the thing. I did have to go to work nine to five. Like, sort of, uh, this this was uh, the culmination of about three or four years' savings, I think, you know, sort of. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so the planning had been sporadically on and off for a few years. And, like, sort of, I'm, you know, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. People asked if, was, if I was going to grow the beard or not, which I found, like, the most ridiculous question. Of course, I was going to grow the beard. Um, 
Mm. And so I looked at it and we sort of saved up money, but it was not designated for this project at all. It was designated to, like, you know, basically buy a house, you know, which, which would have been nice. Um, and so we moved back from Australia and sort of I was like, right, okay, let's do this. We've got enough money to get us across to the first. So we elected to buy an older RV uh, rather than higher one, which is about 3K a month, um, in the hopes that at the end we would um, we would sell it and, you know, get a big chunk of the money back. And so a lot of our money, so we didn't mind spending, like it was the most expensive thing I've ever bought. And like and that was like sort of a pounds-wise, probably about 15, 16 pounds. Uh, and it took me about a week. To, I, I hyperventilated more buying that. <laughs> Any, any time during the run um, and um, yeah so we got across the far side where we waited for the sponsors to flood in because we were pretty sure you know like it's just it has to be I, I, I'm not having that there's a cooler story in running than this just not having it not having it and something would happen and then we'd be you know sort of we'd go and get our, the RV gold plated and we'd be having a nutritionist and a physio and it would become you basically honest, thought actually, you thought this was the running version of breaking bad didn't you well we did actually, we we watched the first i'd not seen any of it before and we watched the first two series of breaking bad in the middle of the desert in new mexico <laughs> you know and uh, one, one night we were actually camped about 200 meters away from the border with uh, mexico and um we were going to park for the night was this Mexican border guard and I sort of went up to him and he looked very much like a turtle he had that much body armour on and a like sort of fairly squat fellow with a helmet over his head in the middle of his car you know sort of strapped with grenades and machine guns and I said do you mind if we park here mate and he's just like no that's that's fine so we've been watching you all day so you know so we've been seeing you can't you've come quite far we'll, we'll watch you all the way to the border you know we've got your back and it's oh like, my god i love this amazing this liverpudlian guy who's like yeah can you watch our backs <laughs> and this mexican who's like sure amazing yeah it was it was it was you know and um so yeah we watched we watched the film then then we just you know it was naive on our part, really, like to think that you know we I'd wrote a lot lot of letters to companies and got nothing back. I actually did get two sort of kind sort of offers of you know like sort of some supplies from it. Can I mention names or is that yeah. yeah yeah absolutely. So, science and sport. Uh, I use a lot of their stuff anyway, and um, and Trek bars um, sent me like sort of you know a, a good few bits of kit. Eventually, I had to sort of when I was solo, I, I couldn't do that anymore because it was just too difficult difficult you know waiting for a post uh, i missed a couple of post office drops and you know you're not just going to stay there for some cereal bars or shakes as nice as they are and um so we turned around and we said right okay well and um, we'll see how far we can get and we calculated that nadine probably had to leave midway across and then i said okay that'll leave me with um, a couple of k before we were pretty much skint to um get to maine um, and then i was on my own with a stroller time since we got to tennessee the money had got the money situation had got a lot worse, uh, and we were probably only had about sort of five hundred uh, pounds to our name. Um, so when I was just running across the state, I had actually had a few friends who were saying, you know, set up a crowdfunding thing, and I'm not really a fan of that um, because I figure that you know on an adventure like this feel free to get sponsored and stuff. But um, this is my personal thing, by the way. I'm not having a go at anyone who does, as you will find out in a minute, and. Um, but I feel just very awkward about any sort of charity towards me, you know, sort of. And then um, when I was in Tennessee, like the people there are just incredibly friendly. 
and you know they'd come and ask what you would do and they'd shake your hand and sometimes they'd have like sort of you know a ten dollar note in it you know after one night and um just a really surreal night uh the, about 40 miles west of nashville after I'd done some karaoke, after about five pints, uh, <laughs> this guy invites me, a very big fellow who I assumed was involved in the town's alternative industries, um, invites me into the toilet uh, after he liked my particular version of Back in Black by ACDC. And, um, oh, I am hey, a- this sounds like a good story. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you hum it, I'll sing it. Um, <laughs> so he says, come with me, and like beckons me into the toilet. And this fellow's like 250 pounds built like an outhouse and so i was like all right mate uh, expecting uh, an offer that i was going to refuse in there and um and so he pulls out his wallet that was just stacked full of cash and gives me my first ever hundred dollar note and so i'm just like oh my god i said i can't take that and he says i'm good for it and i was just, just like sweet okay thank you very much and then after that i just sort of realized you know, someone actually said this to me because i said oh i can't accept it he said you can and you will and I believe the word you're looking for is thanks. And I was just like, yeah. And then after that, you know, somebody offered me something. They, just, you know, people didn't want to give it if they'd never asked, um, you know. And so I was just like, thank you very much. Do you know what? This is the crux of ultra running, the crux of challenges, the crux of like the running community that they people can be so kind to you, and you only find that kindness through doing it stuff like this. Like it just makes yeah. you realize that it's not all horrific the world is not a horrific place like that makes my heart oh, sing. No, what an amazing no, story. and so i actually during the course of tennessee i really wish i'd kept a log on it of how much i got um, I, I reckon it was about seven hundred, eight hundred dollars you know and um with about 600 of those coupled with a nowhere was quite as good as tennessee but like people in maine were lovely as well and I, I got to the uh, I got to the lighthouse in Maine without needing to go to a cash point at any point during that, and that was the only money I had in the world. And I still still didn't even crack that hundred dollar note because I, I didn't want to just squander it on a you know some Gatorade and whatever like that. Um, so on my third leg, I went to an indie music shop in a, in Maine and got myself a CD um, to basically you know I'd always remember that hundred dollar note and and what what the sentiment behind it and the countless other donations. So um, I was trying to basically, I, I got to Maine and I had a flight booked uh, from um, New York on the 7th of June to come back from a visa appointment. And I, you know, I got to Maine on the 29th of April and I thought, Oh, I may as well just get to Chicago. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, turned around and uh, went sort of all the way via like uh, Cleveland, which is cool. Cleveland had a river that went on fire, so um, you know they, you've got to go to places like that. Hang and, on, uh, hang on, hang nice on, hang now. on. Whoa, stop! Cleveland has a place with a <laughs> river that goes on fire. It used to. It used to before they cleaned it up, you know. And so obviously conservation being one of my goals. It was quite nice, and it wasn't just it went on fire. It used to regularly go on fire, and like so I don't even mean like fires at the banks. I mean the the water, you know, having flames, you know, licking off it. Um, Why does it go hey, on fire? Not, what? How does that happen? Just so much pollution, wow. like sort of, you know, all the like petrochemical uh, used to dump into the river, and uh, then you know, I don't know if somebody would throw a match to it, or whether it would just spontaneously combust as the three head. Uh, three three-eyed fish would jump out the water, but uh, were you worried yeah. that your beard being close by it could be quite dangerous? 
Well, you know, so especially when I was I was running in a forest fire season up in sort of uh, Oregon, which is pretty sad, you know, to be there. And um, yeah, you know, that could have gone up at any minute. It would have been horrendous. Nobody likes the smell of burnt hair. So, in terms of the the distance, then, because you did the first section with with your girlfriend, um, yeah. how, what's that like? Just being the two of you where one of you's running, one of you's driving for such a long period. It was hard for her, I think, certainly. Um, and I think sort of makes it, like, sort of, you know, a little bit scarier, sort of being, like, sort of a lone female in that area, just because you're not sure where you are. And it's probably been different for me, not just, you know, I'm, I'm probably sort of smaller than most people, but I have a healthy disregard for my own safety. So I would have uh, been going on adventures, but quite often uh, Nadine would have been like in the RV, you know, like sort of, and she, she was not easy to drive, uh, especially in cities 30 foot long. Um, you know, we had to have it that big so she could get far wow. enough away from my feet at night. Um, but we, we generally bought the RV because we figured that we'd get to one end of the uh, country. We would get enough money to do it like a proper crude expedition. Um, you, you know, so with a, you know, her just basically being a tourist and having a driver and everything like that. And that never happened. We got to Maine. Well, we went all through all the big cities of, uh, you know, the East, East Coast. Uh, I went through Washington where some Secret Service agents outside the White House uh, like accosted me for my photo and then gave me a number to ring if ever I was in trouble. Uh, <laughs> oh, amazing. Have you, still, not, have you still got that number? Still, Can you say that number now? <laughs> I've still got it uh, from Agent Avery. I uh, hope I haven't got him in trouble. And um, then I sort of headed up um, because I was desperately trying to get to Boston. Uh, I think it was the 16th because I was entered in the Boston Marathon that year. And um, I sort of got, uh, when I got to, uh, pretty much halfway across, just before Nadine went, I tore my quad uh, when I was going from Arkansas into Tennessee. Uh, and that delayed me by about a week. Uh, and so I ended up getting as far as New Jersey and a local club runner uh, who was running drove me up to, to Boston. I did Boston, uh, got like a big old spread in the paper and interviewed at the finish line. Um, and still that came up with no sponsorship. I was, I, I even had a Bud Light halfway round uh, in the marathon and they didn't sponsor me. So I was figuring out to get lost balls, you know. Um, and then... He, when we got to San Francisco where we decided that if no sponsorships came in that was it definitely home um, until... and why, why do you think that was were you, were you spending all your time running and not having a, enough time to approach sponsors or was it not really capturing the American imagination or were they not were they looking for something else the thing is it, it did capture their imagination there because like every time I go through, you get fantastic press, and like you know, you have people running with you, you know, um, like obviously all these kind gestures. I just figured it was because I had no real pedigree in that sort of area before, and maybe they were just thinking, "Hang on, this is a little bit nuts. What happens if this guy's a bit of nuts?" And then, and then he's not really sort of you know a good sort of spokesman for the company. But uh, I, you know, I wrote all these letters, and uh, I think I got four applies back uh, and all of them uh, apart from one was the very much thank you for your interest in our product but you know and um once i got to san francisco though so, um a friend of mine had said and you know this is why i, I certainly won't throw any stones in the crowdfunding department because a, a friend of mine said if you don't set one up i will 
And then I figured, well, you know, it may as well be me that did it. And um, I obviously when I was going home, I would like work as hard as I physically could to save as much money and, you know, to go back with. And then um, with crowdfunding and a like sort of a very generous friend who, uh, who who sorted me out a bit, we managed to get to the end. But uh, the one thing is, because I was doing it for charity, um, I've sort of resolved that that money that I raised, which I think was probably about 9,000 in total out of an outlay of around 50,000. So, you know, I, I reckon I, sort of, I came up with about 75% of that people on the street came up with it, you know, and, and the crowdfunding sorted the rest. Um, but any of that crowdfunding money, once I am solvent again, <laughs> is going to go to the charities out of my own pocket because, you know, if people donated, I only ever wanted them to donate to the charity. So that's my job for the future to sort that out. And so, so you mentioned about going home and then you've also talked about how there were different letters so yeah. was this were there was there a separation between the legs where you'd rest and you'd refuel and before you took on the next one or was this a constant challenge uh, there was separation but i wouldn't call it rest and refuel i call it deteriorate um mm. like so i was only allowed had to stay in the country for uh, you know sort of up to six months and the common accepted knowledge is if you stay there for six months and just go home for two weeks they will call you on it and say you're trying to live in the states so I think I did the first leg I was only allowed to stay there for 90 days because I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I could finish the thing so mm-hmm. I didn't want to spend you know all the money on the visa and um, I would I basically did the tourist visa went home got my uh, full visa and then just went immediately back to the States. That took about three weeks to do. Um, in June, when I uh, went back from Chicago, uh, I think I stayed home for like sort of four weeks then. And then the final one uh, in December was another two weeks. Um, and basically, whenever you went back there, all of your, you know, the first three weeks of these challenges, like you know, if anybody's listening who's done one, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. The first two to three weeks are just awful because mm. your, your body's not used to it. Your mind's not used to it. Um, and even like sort of when you returned after these things, you think your mind would at least said, well, you've done this before. But you'd just be more racked with doubt and you'd have tightened up, you know, because you get home and, and you know, you, you, you sort of take the opportunity to sit down whereas if i'd have done this again i would have run probably you know almost the same mileage daily at home because um yeah the cold the cold turkey was rough how, how much were you running then in these, these bits in between yeah your, your average sort of you know uh fun runner generally you know, sort of you know 30 to 40 miles and um you know i'd just be mostly home and like sort of trying to like sort of catch up with people uh and it was just a really silly move but um I suppose, like, you know, I had to work during these periods as well. So I'd be working, like, sort of 10-hour days uh, just to try and save up a, a little thing. And then so the running was a bonus. The running was my escape. <laughs> just just out of interest, what do you and, do and for a living? He... What was that, sorry? What do you do for oh, a living? I live in, yeah, I'm a vet. Oh, you're a vet. Amazing. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. Not a Vietnam. Yeah, that's just Forrest who is a vet of Vietnam. Like, so I'm just a normal vet. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, you're not like you weren't there, man. But um, that's, yeah. that, that's amazing. Exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, that whole thing where you stop for like two minutes and then suddenly you've actually stopped for like five weeks because you can't move anymore. Um, that that must have been a massive yeah. challenge for you. And every time you went back, did you go back to where you'd stopped before and then start again? Uh, 
literally the same spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so I'd actually because uh, I just didn't want to um, make sure I'd missed a step on the road. So I'd usually go for about twenty meters behind, just so I didn't <laughs> make a slight mistake. Um, I remember like once on the run, we're in Texas. This is on the first leg and um, I was meant to meet Nadine at this particular rendezvous point and I get there and call her and I said where are you and she says I'm at the point and I go you're not at the point I'm at the point and then I realised like that she's probably done a better job navigating than me and I realised I'd gone I'd taken a right when I should have gone straight on and uh, she goes well well I'll just drive you back to where we should have met and I was just like I can't do that because if I do that the seven miles of road that I haven't run. So when anyone says, have you run across America? I'll be like, well, yeah, apart from those seven miles in Texas. So, um, yeah, went back, did that. There was a bridge in a, again in Texas, in Austin, uh, that I asked where it was, and the road worker said, in the river, uh, and offered to drive me across the now very narrow bridge that all these cars were hurtling across. And he said I couldn't run across it. Not legally, it was just the fact that he was so you will die uh, and I just said I'll have to take my chances mate sorry and um, and went across so um, when you're talking about like sort of you know doing it right <laughs> yeah, I was obsessive about not missing a step and and when you transition from being in the RV to Australia yeah is that a completely different way of running yeah it is um, I, I've only just realized this the other day because I'm doing a lot of my rehab on the on the uh, on the treadmill i actually do the vast majority of my normal training on the treadmill i am weird like that um and if you want to know what it's like running with a stroller next time you're on the treadmill um your pulse red just do that for an hour and uh, that's the gate you have to adopt um but like when i actually um started with this is like three days after i got moving after my quad tour and uh, which is not you don't want to be pushing a stroller after that um and i set for the first time ever in the rv park that we were in in memphis and just was just like right okay how do i pack this so um despite all the logistical preparation i had left a major flaw with the fact i had no clue how to run with one of these things and uh, eventually it probably sort of became a bit of my zimmer frame where i started to run Z-shaped old man, and uh, may have contributed to my hip running. And so, um, I think next time if I do something with a stroller, I'll adopt a much more upright position. Wow! So you'd never trained with it at all? No, no. Yeah, it's clever, that, isn't it? <laughs> oh my word! And is it? Does it make it easier in some ways because you can take some of your weight, or is it really hard because you've got to push it? Um, it will only take your weight at the very start of the day when your water is full, uh, and the, you know. Otherwise, if you put much weight on the, um, you know, on the on the handlebars, it will sort of come backwards. And so, you you have the ability to cheat when you don't need it, and when you do need it, you're you're running the risk of doing some wheelies. But I think there was not necessarily a lean on it, but there was a natural lean over it. Um, I think you just sort of felt, you know, you know, when you were with heavy traffic, the closer you were to it, the more. Con- control you had and sort of you know you sort of use it as your shield uh not that it would have done much much uh, good um i had a um 40 you know one of these big 40 wheel trucks uh jackknife in front of me on a single track road in tennessee and i just like stood watching it like sort of come sideways towards me thinking yeah there's not much i can do about this <laughs> and, uh, as you can tell it's stopped um wow <laughs> And, and and you mentioned then you, you had a few injuries. What yeah. 
what caused those do you think and then how did you continue yeah the, the, the first one I got was um, I was sitting I had a so schoolmate that I'd not seen for 20 years um, came and visited us uh, not long after we crossed the border into Texas this is maybe about 450 miles in and um, like my girlfriend Nadine sort of says to me he says you're smashing this you're going to do it really easily and I said you can say that when I'm five meters from the end until then and I got up to the RV and uh, the chair that I was sitting in creaked and I carried on walking and the chair was still creaking even though I wasn't connected to it and I realised it was my shin and um, the tendon sheath and uh, so I had basically tendonitis in my anterior tibial do my doctor Google and yeah it's like six to eight weeks out and you know almost immediate chance of re-injury if uh, you come come back too quickly uh, which was fairly depressing I had like a full-blown breakdown in the gas station and a couple of days later um, you know just when somebody asked me what I was doing and I gave them my, the last because I'm such a professional operation uh, the last of my handwritten cards with my uh, social media details on and, uh, and I got a really nice hug from the lady in the gas station that made me feel better um, and I ended up seeing like a, a really cool physical therapist there uh, say really cool I still had to pay 250 bucks to see a doctor before I could actually get to see the physical therapist uh, yay NHS and um, <laughs> yeah so um, I managed to sort of get through that that with the help of some K-tape and uh, some advice from a friend who'd also run across America called Chris Finnell. Uh, you may have heard him. He's one of the few guys who's run every London marathon ever. And um, I knew he had a big injury problem himself when he was halfway across. And I said, Chris, what did you do? And he said, well, for a start, I've been looking at your Strava and you're running too quickly. And I'm just like, I don't think I am. And he was like, you are running too quickly and you're not walking at all. And I was like, well, I'm not walking across America. I'm running. And he goes, you've got to do some walking because you're not, you, you know, you're not taking any rest days. So you have mm. some rest day, like in the actual. So, and what he did was uh, run four, walk one, run one, then have a little break for something to eat. And I didn't quite work for me that strategy, but I, I, I found my own, which eventually morphed into running two and a half and walking half which is actually the classic ultra runner strategy, isn't it? You know, so they've run 25, walk five. Um, and You'd then, run two and a half, is that miles? Yeah, two and a half miles. And then, okay. yeah. And like, so it was basically, um, this came about like sort of what, from one of my later injuries. Um, I Later on in sort of, on that leg, I got Achilles tendonitis, which I just treated in the same way. You know, sort of, uh, none of those gave me any time off. Um, then I got to um, Arkansas, and I, I tore my quad trying to get into the RV awkwardly. I didn't realise I tore my quad. I had to run about another 40 miles on it before. Uh, the next day, it was just the size of a melon. And, uh, and you know, if you could stick your finger in it, and it'd take about three seconds to return to its normal shape. And I'd be like, uh-oh. And um, that, um, that stopped me for two days. And I started walking again um, on the third day. And I gradually um, built up my running um sort of proportions you know so my original plan which was I think run four walk half run two walk half run one um, and then the third leg was when I started getting the real big pelvic issues which was uh, first of all piriformis syndrome uh, where you get your glutes are so tight they like pinch on your sciatic nerve and they can cause like your leg to collapse and that sort of happened uh, probably about 8,000 miles in so halfway and I was ongoing bit, battling with that until the end, uh, including a, 
uh, I had like a, a hip flexor tendonitis as well, um, caused by running for a flight connection that I never made and then slipping on snow. Oh, um, so it was just generally like, so yeah, like the only days I lost through injury were those two in, um, in Tennessee. Um, and then of course my final big thing was, um, I was at the ex- exact midpoint of route 66 um so i think it's like 1100 miles to chicago 1100 miles to santa monica um and i stayed at this motel uh, in a place um oh my god i forgot the name of it now um in texas adrian texas that's why i remember it's just like rocky and um i went over to the gas station to get some of my elite level nutrition uh which was a frozen burrito uh, a big Dr. Pepper and, you know, one of those hot dogs from the roller machines. And, uh, Excellent nutrition. Brilliant strategy. Yeah, I'm loving it. That is the main thing. It literally would have been my grand slam of nutrition, mm-hmm. of, you know, what I would generally eat in a day if they had any donuts that were uh, that looked good, so, but they didn't. So I just with what I knew. And um, at three o'clock, uh, I stuck with what I knew when I had rising bile in my throat and, uh, and ran to the toilet and dry heaved for about an hour. Um, never any much vomit came out, but uh, from the other end, uh, a stone did in five days. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd actually sort of, in that point, I'd almost ran myself clear of injury. Uh, I got chiropractic in um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and then uh, when I was in Decatur in Alabama, uh, a guy, this is, a, I'll t- I have to tell you the story, this is cool. Um, I was in Kansas, and uh, I'm coming out of this uh, gas station, and I hear this guy go, hey, you, and followed with a British swear word. And so I look around, <laughs> and then it's just like, yeah, you, beep, you know, another one. So I was like, right, somebody's trying out the vocabulary. And um, so I go over, and he's like, what are you doing? I explain what I'm doing. And um, he was there, for I think, for the first day of the pheasant hunting season, which is very different to our pheasant hunting season. It's like the most working class thing in the world over there. And, um, and so it's an unlikely... Uh, union between a conservationist and a hunter but we ended up having a, a good few beers that night so much so that uh like sort of his his hunting mate who'd never missed the first day of the season in his life uh, couldn't get out of bed um and so i didn't have that option so you were doing some conservation then oh uh, well yeah exactly i was trying to <laughs> disable, physically disable them and um and so he, he was from alabama which is a pretty you know cool thing anyway with the forest gump connection and he says are you running through alabama and i said yes and he goes are you going anywhere near like decatur and i said well i can tell you i'm running straight through the middle of it because i'd already you know sort of knew my route for the final leg of this on the fourth leg i saw him and then um he goes well you can come and stay at my house and um i'm running through roughly by where he lives don't don't know exactly where i am and my my glutes is absolutely killing me my legs collapse in every third step and I get to this corner, I just call him up and I say, Ramey, you're going to need to come and give me a lift. I, I, I just can't, at least you can't go any further. And he goes, where are you? And I said, I'm at the corner of this road and this road. And he goes, you're right outside my front door. And I said, <laughs> what? You know, like the, the coincidence there. And yeah. um, he, he ends up taking me to yeah, it's it's brilliant. And um, like sort of, he ends up taking me to um, to his, his his friend his friend that I disabled for the day lived next door to a doctor, and uh, that doctor gave me like a load of steroids and a load of anti-inflammatories in my buttocks, and um, that got me up until I got food poisoning. I was like doing really well, and then of course all my muscles wasted away, and um, that was me uh, sort of you know back in injury town. Um, 
I only got, you know, when I said I, got, I was getting to uh, the the Twin Arrows to, to go home. So yeah. I, um, it was only those last three days. I figured, on you know, on the on the first four legs, if I ever had seven days in a row where I hated it, and um, I, I would just come home. That would be my moment where I would finally say the the Forest Gum quote and, and go home. And um, I think I got to day three. Um, I, you know, something would always pull you out of the mire. But day sort of, uh, seven on the final leg certainly happened a number of times where I just told myself that I was not going to quit. You know, I, I envisage this day, uh, the fifth leg, to be some sort of weird lap of honour, you know, with like, like sort of hundreds of people behind me, me like sort of being the most elite ultra runner in the world and flying to the end, whereas it was an absolute grind through pain, you know, 60,000 steps a day, at least 30,000 of them being painful. Um, and then so... I was still finding through the, you know, what you're saying before about the human kindness, yeah. that I still wasn't miserable. I was painful, but I was still having mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, and like, while I could still have fun and like make the sort of social posts sort of, you know, good for people to read, there was no way I was going to quit. I'd deal with the injury afterwards. And uh, it was the last three days of that run where I just got completely injury free again. And, um, you know, I was saying before about my two and a half half uh, schedule the very last run i think was uh was 18 miles and i was like after two and a half miles i went to go and you know sort of do my um you know sort of walking bit and i was just like dude what are you doing that for just run you can run it you just do 18 miles enjoy it and i'm going down this like sort of um dust track along the side of the interstate and it's like a lovely sunny but not too hot day and it was just like one of these sort of things where if you were trying to uh con somebody into running who didn't like like it, you would just plug them directly into my brain at that point, and it was just, you know, full-on euphoria. I reckon it was the sort of thing that Chris Martin was thinking about when he wrote Charlie Brown, you know? Yeah, it's those moments, isn't it? It's like all of the shit that you go through and all of the bits where you're completely by yourself for so long and all of the things that you're like, fuck's sake, why, doesn't, why isn't this happening? And then you get those <laughs> tiny glimpses and you're like, actually, this is amazing. And um, yeah. and yeah, you have to you have to work. It's like everything; you have to work hard at getting those things. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes they just surprise you as well. Because I I sort of found, and this is I think real valuable uh, lesson. I sort of I've been lucky enough, apart from you know sort of the average uh, man in the street sort of battle with mental health, never to really find myself in, in you know sort of too deep. But I went fairly deep on this on this run and a lot of monotony so you sort of start to realize what flicks your switches you know instead of what makes you sad yep and i sometimes realize that there's actually nothing uh directly related to it like some days i would have had a great night's sleep and i met a lovely person it'd be a sunny day and i wouldn't even have to do that many miles that day it'd be a short day and i'd be miserable as sin and then some days it would be freezing cold like so there's one day in wyoming where my beard full-on froze uh, you know, my buff actually was stuck like super glued to my face, um, and like so, I had nowhere to sleep that night. I'd sort of had run out of all the food that I wanted to eat, and I was just having the greatest time ever, you know. And um, I just realised that then, um, when you're sort of sad, quite often there's nothing you can do about it apart from realise that the next day is going to be different. And you know, the fact that I just go tomorrow is going to be better on yeah. that sad day would yeah. make my sad day not happy. 
but less sad. Yeah, uh, and, you know, we had a, we had a guest on a, a couple of uh, months ago, Jake, and he's like, buy yourself another day, buy yourself another day, and it's like, if you're having a really shit day, no, you know, it could be the sunshine, it could be that you've smashed out fifty miles when you're supposed to do thirty, but you feel shit. And and if you buy yourself just one more day, the next day can be completely different. Even if you only do 10 miles, it's pissing with rain. Like, you just don't know what it's going to be like. And then, you know, the whole human kindness, like, bit of the, of all these massive, massive endurance ones with people inviting you in or giving you money or giving you food, that is heartwarming. Like, to the point where in the divisive world we live in, it really does make a massive difference. Yeah, like there's a, a not a very oft quoted uh, line from Forrest Gump that is just sort of struck to, struck me at this point. I've never actually said this myself, so this is like full blown exclusive. Um, so New Year's Eve, where they're in uh, this this bar in New York. So there's Forrest, Lieutenant Dan, and their and their, their two lady friends, and, it, and obviously. The, the whole New Year thing happens and uh, it's just like New Year's brilliant because you just start all over again so you know just, just make every day a New Year's Eve and uh, whatever rubbish stuff happened that day you can do a little New Year's resolution every single day why today's going to be better you know yeah that's, that's a really you, good way you, to look at it because did you find with with no it was not like you're racing for a specific time um, other than a self-imposed one and actually it, the the end seems almost an arbitrary thing. Yeah. Was it easy to motivate yourself to actually do the whole thing? Because you could have really retired at any point and kind of claimed success. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sort of a bit of like, I am a fairly harsh critic of myself, probably overly harsh. And there would have always been a bit, that would have been sad if I hadn't got to that that point in Monument Valley, uh, I felt a lot better once I'd done the 15248 because then I could just say, listen, I did the distance and, you know, the song from the films, Fleetwood Mac, go your own way in it. And so, um, you know, I could just say, this is where I finished, doesn't matter, you know, but I would have always wished I could have got there. And um, motivation-wise, like sort of, as soon as I turned round, the running for me was actually over. Then it was basically just trying to sort of, you know, be in people's consciousness and be associated with my two charities so people would just think well why is this fella doing it you know um, and that was always my go-to motivation but, but you know it's no matter how good the cause you're running for you can't just say to yourself exclusively you're doing it for this cause you know sort of um, because you need other little bit to motivation so um, I would like look forward to an ocean or look forward to a state line or even just you know hey I'm going to get to a you know sort of a place where it's going to be warm to sleep tonight um, and then sometimes you know my biggest motivation was just lunch lunch or the next stop you know knowing that you were going to get to a gas station and they would have Dr Pepper or donuts or a Twix or something like that and, um, you know, it, it was how rough you were that would, would pull your motivation into you because I never thought that the finish was actually a real thing. I didn't mm. really want to think about that all the time because it would meant that I, I, knew, I knew just at any point um, mentally I was fairly confident that I could carry on. It was going to be financial or physical that would have pulled me off the, uh, you know, the, um, the, 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 the road itself. And, um, you know, so there's people asked, I was, I was, at a school the other day and someone actually just said to me when you found out your girlfriend was pregnant did you not think you should go home and I was like I wasn't allowed to go home she told me she'd never hear the end of it if I uh, if I if I came back and so fortunately she was very supportive 
supportive and I she also committed a lot to supporting me for about you know sort of three or four months on the run if not more um, and I, I didn't want to let her down as well and so it was fantastic to have it at the finish and then um, she managed to uh, get a little present that goes on her left ring finger and, uh, Aww. <laughs> Aww. Aww. It, 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 in the most elaborate contrived proposal of all time it wasn't done for that reason by the way but I figured if you got the opportunity you know it's an open goal I mean Rob the big question is did you crowdfund the ring or did you manage to get it before no no that was actually off my credit card so I I did manage to blag a 25% discount on it though which she does know about she actually asked me when she got the ring she was just like did you get anything off and I was just like yeah yeah, 25% she was like good brilliant I love that I love that <laughs> no, um, the, the when before you came on, actually, Ali and I were talking about the charities you're raising for, and Ali mentioned that she felt um, it was quite hard to actually raise money for yeah. animal um, animal charities. Oh, we've, we, yeah, and I've I've spoken to my boyfriend about this at length. And if you are trying to raise money for animal charities, the majority of people are like, well, no, because there's better human charities. Um, and I yeah. love animals more than anything. I've got four dogs running around now by my legs. Um, but how, how have you how have you managed to like get people to to, to give money? Like just generally, have a, from a charity point of view, yeah. you know, we've all got the whole Eddie Izzard thing where it's like you have to run a billion marathons in a billion days. Um, but it's a massively difficult thing to do. Yeah, it, it is to be honest. And sort of um, like so, I'll sort of caveat all of this really by still saying I, I'm desperately disappointed with my charity numbers um, because like so you know I've raised about sort of 50,000 which I know is a lot of money but my original goal because I, I just sort of figured hey um, you know it's going to be the at least the biggest run of that year you know sort of, um, like sort of I'm pretty certain that nobody ran more than me in 2017 dude it's worldwide. the biggest run it's the biggest run that WWF ever had ever <laughs> like it's ludicrous yeah but the, the, the sort of thing like the, the lens that they're going to there's going to be a, an incredible documentary coming out sort of uh, just after Earth Hour I think it's like April the 3rd or the 4th called uh, what, uh, Our Planet uh, with David Attenborough it's going to be on Netflix and if we haven't been scared into doing uh, changing our lives this is this is the thing that's going to do it this is the, the game changing you know and so I, being a vet, I'm obviously very sort of you know fond of animals. And my mum sort of um, sponsored a tiger for me when I was for my 21st birthday present. So as part of them making a difference, I thought you know I have to do something you know that's linked to her and you know that I believe in. And so um, that was you know the WWF were in, and so I just thought, God, why, why did Forrest run? And when he's running across that bridge, they say to him, um, "What are you? Why are you doing this? Are you running for women's rights, for the homeless, for world?" peace for the environment for animals and I was just like well brilliant there's two of them ticked off <laughs> uh, I was thinking well I need to get a charity for the other for the other uh, causes and then I thought four charities is just going to be too much um, you know it's just going to be unwieldy and people go I don't I'm confused so I tried to find one that would actually cover all of those three things and that's where I eventually came across Peace Direct like the fairly new and small charity but the, the sort of the one that you know again could be a real sort of game changing the way that cha- some charities think because the way they sort of uh, go about making their pieces to make sure that conflict doesn't happen not to try and sort of you know stop it um 
And so they have like programs such as like sort of child soldier rehabilitation in Congo. You know, what's the point coming back from the jungle where you were fed and you're you're having a great time mm. when you go back home and there's nothing for you. Um, like sort of in Zimbabwe, they have like a huge women's education program because of huge, huge macho, masculine dominated society and with a lot of aggression. Uh, and by sort of you know getting women into positions of power, you know, sort of it just naturally tempers things. You know, sort of a, I thought we were going to have this sort of fantastic moment where sort of the three of the world major countries were run by women and it would have been great uh, but then uh, the fellow with the, uh, the hair came along <laughs> it all changed um, and of course obviously you know world peace well if you start from the bottom probably the best chance of getting world peace because we've shown that we can't really do it from the top down it's not really working um, and so you know saying about it, um, you know I tried to get this point across and it was still mostly you know it just wasn't one of the real heartstring charities you know um, but then you see these sort of videos of like sort of you know, the conflict in Yemen at the moment and like the amount of like children that are dying there and it's just tough you know like sort of 20,000 children in Yemen worth less than sort of one one poor lad in the UK sort of you know the, who, who's you know very ill and it's, it's you can't quantify either of those things because they're both awful situations situations mm. so my goal really was just to go long go long and just get people sort of you know going well who is this peace director and i'm like google them and google them and then people would email me just saying wow this is fantastic you know um you know they deal with like teams of peace builders all over the world who like sort of you know risk sort of you know their own personal safety by, by trying these programs and they're having some great success and of course, the World Wildlife Fund, um, they, you know, so everybody knows that they're involved in conservation of species and people going, oh, I don't even like tigers. Well, the thing is with tigers, though, if you save their habitat, you also save every other species sort of, you know, that lives there. You know, they're called umbrella species. And um, then, you know, a healthy ecosystem is just better for the world. They also will do things like sort of uh, provide... Uh, um, you know, like, um, economical cooking stoves for people in India so they don't need to clear as much forest so tigers don't come into their habitat and, and become a threat. Um, and all I want to do is to people to learn and learn. And so I was a little bit sad about the, the fun, funding because I thought, why not raise a million? If anybody listens to this podcast that's raised them, that, that's got a million that they can spare and this has inspired you, just send me an email on my website and, uh, <laughs> and we will happily take Take your money and we'll change the world. Um, but yeah, like I, I spoke to WWF and I was just like, I'm really sorry about this. I thought I, I would have done a bit better. And they were just like fairly incredulous at this. And whether they were being nice or not, they made me feel a lot better. And they said that after the uh, you know London Marathon um, that their worldwide uh, web traffic had like pretty much doubled or trebled. I can't remember the figure that they said and they reckoned I'd saved them about 200k in advertising. So <laughs> that made me feel all warm and fuzzy because, you know, sort of, um, you see the adverts on the TV now sort of about, you know, we're the only generation that's ever known we're destroying the planet and we're the, possibly the last generation that's got a chance to uh, save it, you know. So to just even try and do my bit, no matter what. I want people to go, why did he do it? Why was he so mad to do something like this? And it goes, because I'm motivated that we need to do something quickly there's an argument you can make that the wwf are the most important charity in the world full stop because they're probably the only major conservation charity that can make government 
continents move and you know if we haven't got a planet to live on or run on more importantly yeah. you know sort of then all other charities become void you know yeah. so yeah and that, um, and, that, and that is one of the things that really really gets me it's like you know when you do these massive races when you go out and you see the world and and, and the world is a, a massive amazing place with, with places that people you know i ran in the namib recently and it's like i ran on sand that no humans ever touched and it's it's a huge huge place but it's like you know people don't see that and they don't understand that you know there's just been a report recently um that we're going to run out of insects by like 2050 and if we run out of insects we are fucked and that's the end of it if we run out of sharks we're done like you know it's it's know. insane and people don't understand that because they don't see it you know they see their day-to-day lives sat in offices and stuff and i just think that people like you who are raising awareness of stuff like this are, are amazing and and we're not going to have an environment to run in if we don't look after it so uh yeah everybody should really have you got have you got a website that people can go to and uh, a facebook and that sort of thing to donate yes uh, so my, my social handle is run rob la run and that's r-o-b la uh, and that works pretty much on all, all your major all your major flavors uh, and the website is going the distance run.com amazing well everyone should go and just if you can even if you can give like five pounds then that's five pounds where you can feel a little bit better about the fact that we, exactly. we're slowly destroying the planet but you're helping to not destroy it yeah Anyone wants to sponsor me a pound a mile, they're more than welcome. Even if it's just... <laughs> after after that conversation, I am not sponsoring you a pound a mile. No <laughs> way. Maybe somebody will do that just for the marathon day. So that's like that's a big amount, but it's not as scary. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's caused the... This is your next chance. Is you're, you're currently injured with a pretty bad injury. And that's obviously what, two months away. Uh, yes, pretty much. Yeah, a little bit less. Uh, hopefully, this time in two months, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm moaning about something else. <laughs> I don't. I probably blisters. I am. Yeah. Well, we'll we can. Um, we've got plenty of episodes if you need to listen to uh, people like Tom Evans or uh, JD or myself. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give yeah. you this now, Rob. Uh, Anne Summers, silicon lube, in Genji socks. You'll be absolutely fine. I'm worried about those things going in between my toes, though. I don't know. Like, not, still, not with the lube on. So, so, so the lube, then the Genji oh. socks, then some hilly socks over the top, gaiters, you'll be absolutely fine. Sounds good. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Rob. It's been absolutely amazing. And just still doesn't quite uh, sink in how far you've run in that time. I know. That's just, it's just um, the most insane amount of miles. Yeah, can I just do a quick straw poll out with you two? Mm. Do you think it would be a good idea? Because, you know, in 20 years' time, I'm going to be sitting in the pub and, and go, people will go, Rob, why did you run 4.7 times across America rather than 5? And obviously, there's a very convoluted reason why you've just did for the last hour or so. But I think it'd be a good idea if I started, just appeared again in the desert and, uh, and, and got to that ocean. What do you reckon? Votes for? Yes, definitely, 100% good i'm i'm gonna put my vote to whatever your fiance says because uh i think she yeah. probably deserves and, and, we, and, and honestly rob if we're gonna put it out to the do batters they'll be like no dns the whole thing stop while you're ahead and just go to the pub and and live out on it that's what they're gonna say well i did like you know the run was 422 days long in total and i did have over 422 beers on that journey so i, th- I think i think i must you know i've, I've had one 
Going well, I've been doing the podcast, and I'm such a bad boy. I'm here in my club vest, and it's not even a track night. Good man. <laughs> this is what we like. We really like to hear this. But yeah, your your mileage is just so insane that I can't even compute it. Like, you know, um, and and what you're doing is amazing, and and raising awareness for for the fact that we run in a beautiful world, and we should really really look after it is absolutely brilliant. So uh, hats off. Like, I don't think I could ever do anything like that. One last question: Who was in charge of your costume changes? So when did you get to put? Oh, like, oh I need to change my costume now. Uh, well, like sort of the, the, the forest uh, costumes would generally come out of fairly key locations. Although the the very nice red track top that I had was uh, with the the blue and white stripes were embroidered on by the long suffering Nadine. Uh, so she was responsible for artistic direction. But uh, I, I was uh, I was mostly doing the change. I've still got the uh, the original Cortez that I finished and started every leg in and did Boston Marathon in as well. So. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they made an appearance at the National Running Show, and I'm sure they'll come out again in the future while wow, they've still got life in it. Amazing. And, is the, and in terms of your look now, uh, how long until you get rid of the beard, or is that for life now? Uh, the, the beard probably, and maybe the hair, have to be drastically altered by the wedding day, which is later in October. Um, and so that's why sort of, uh, I'm thinking uh, the, the beard has still got a little bit of work left to do. So whether it's Marathon Day Saab or another sort of thousand or few thousand miles in America, expect to see it as long as I'm vertical and able to move my two legs, doing some more good this year. And then okay. you never, you never know what what the hair will do in the future. Rob, if you can go and run Marathon de Saab in that Forrest Gump outfit without being a dick I will literally give you a thousand pounds towards your charity because I think that would be amazing just to turn up with everybody else also all the salmon men and you with your beard and with your outfit would be so good and no backpack you don't need a backpack you're Forrest Gump um, that would be amazing I will have to have a backpack but you, you, you might sort of regret making that claim because I, I am currently investigating it Oh my god! If you did it, we would get the new banners to raise a thousand pounds. No backpack, just turn up like Forrest Gump and get on with it. I'd love that. The, the only the only sort of a departure I would have from it, though, if you, if you just let me tolerate this, is I can't use the Cortez because, as you know from the marathon, it will just kill them, and they've done too much. I'm not bothered about my feet in them. You know, so they've done five hundred miles in them, but I just can't. I can't subject the shoes to the desert. <laughs> that's fine but you, yeah, you, that's fair enough. you think of something where we can raise some money for you and we will put it in the group and we will raise some money for you but um, just the thought of you at the start line dressed like that and everyone going everyone else in all of their gear and all of their freaking ridiculous uh, gaiters and, and, and shirts that makes me laugh so much it would be amazing well with the white gaiters it'd be quite easy to paint a red Nike swoosh on on those, wouldn't it? And then they're going to be they're going to be Cortez straight away. You'll never know what I'm wearing. Actually, yeah, I wear the Cortez. I wear the Cortez. And oh, actually, so probably good. the probably the first run you've done since the start, where people won't be shouting at you, "Run, Forest, run!" Even if you're dressed as him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, though, if you're ever doing a marathon and you're not going for a PB and you don't dress as Forest Gump, you are missing a trick. You know, <laughs> it's the only way you'll become as popular as Mo Farah for a day. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That's been amazing. And um, do badders do get on to going the distance. What's the domain name again? It's going the distance run. run. If if you go to a 
just go in the distance.com. I think it's a uh, it's a Chevy dealership in Missouri. So uh, you know, we definitely <laughs> don't want to send them your money. Send me the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Rob. Well, good luck with the marathon and but do let us know if you're going to go to that because we'll, um, we'll find out what number you are so we can send you messages support and um, if you're going to go back to the States as well let us know because we'd love to hear how that final 0.7 of the US is great stuff yeah marathon I, I booked my flights to the MDS yesterday so we are in great <laughs> yeah well God we'll be there me. ready to support you through so um, good luck with that and we'll hopefully see you soon excellent cheers guys thanks cheers, Rob, Rob. Bye. Bye. What do you think of that then, Ali? He is such a nice man, isn't he? What a lovely, lovely man. He's very... He didn't really go on about training or being fast or being super fit or any of that stuff. He kind of just spoke about it like it was the most normal thing anyone's ever done, which I really, really like. Yeah, compared to other people we speak to... This, it, it, it actually seems so different because everyone goes out there to do a challenge and you set this in your diary and you've got a, a fixed distance and you do it. And the fact that his was in five legs where he had to come back, he then had to work while he was back to get some money to go out hope that he can still get through the visa requirements and then start again. I mean, that in itself must be so mentally tough. Then if you had your girlfriend there for some of the stages, you've done this Winnebago, taken a risk, it's not paid off, and so you're left running with a stroller not expected. Then if you add on the fact that he's getting injured and he is running, well, walking, then walk run then running through the injury as he goes because he hasn't got enough time to get back then he has to get back for the pregnancy then I mean there's just so many so many things there were obstacles I think for if you were saying I'm climbing Everest and you'd be like I'm not at Everest yet I can understand it'd be easy to get the motivation to go well I can't just go to base camp whereas this is such an arbitrary thing that he could have. He was basically writing half of the rules himself, and yeah, yeah. he called it like, "Yeah, I've done it. I've run as far as he did on the map, so therefore, I've done the Forrest Gump thing." But the fact he's adding all these extras, and he's well, I've got to run through Montana, run this on the route, and I mean, what legends! Unbelievable. It's so. There's so many excuses, isn't there? That he had so many opportunities just to go. Do you know what? I can't be bothered to do this anymore, or I'm not going back. Like you know, on multi days when you go to bed and you wake up you're like oh do you know what I'm really tired I'm quite hungry oh my leg hurts that's like that's like a tight one percent of the stuff that he had to deal with of like coming back and doing all that other stuff I just to be able to get back up literally get back up pack your bag go back out there and start where you where you left off not knowing where you're going to finish because he just didn't know did he he kind of was just all over the place I just think that that is amazing but it's testament to him isn't it because he's just a lovely normal person and it's it's one of those things that i often say to people it's like you know the people that do these things are normal people doing extraordinary things not and not giving up and just getting out there and doing it there's nothing massively special about him he's just a really nice normal guy but i think yeah what he's achieved is brilliant this but the sad thing is that 
it didn't seem at the time that anyone well, people took notice obviously but it's it's kind of after the event isn't it that people have kind of worked out who he is and what he did and i just wish there'd been more press and media around it at the time so that people could have had the opportunity to kind of join in with it and give him a bit more support um and that but that bit was a little bit sad but yeah and and actually that's that's probably one of the hardest parts because the, the, the it all links in together really because what was interesting as well is the and I think you, we even, you know, individuals who listen to the podcast and who are fundraising for London Marathon or whatever it may be, there's often a time when you're, you don't know what the right thing to do is financially because you, you're running out of money or you don't have the money to do something. But it doesn't seem right to take money that actually is heading to a charity or potentially could be heading to a charity because you need that money to do the event or to carry on to carry it to which allows you to then carry on raising yeah but then so so morally you feel a bit you feel a bit bad but then ultimately the net effects of you not doing something is the charity gets less overall money and, and so somewhere within that is is everyone's got their own happiness of right i'm not you know i'm doing the right thing and so the fact he had to go through that himself and that was tied to he, I think he got as much publicity as he, he definitely deserved. Yeah. And if he if he had have done, that would help the sponsorship, that would help the charity rate, and it, it all ties in. And you, yeah, it's it's as much about being good PR these days as it is about setting an amazing record or doing an amazing challenge. Um, one of the things when I was going to Panama and Namibia, and I was running out of money, and I was like, oh my god, I've got to buy all this kit. I don't know what to do. And um. <coughs> excuse me and um i did a little crowdfunding thing through bbr and through white star and i made i got a thousand pounds in about three days right and i felt awful i felt like massively grateful but also awful that i was asking people to give me money not for charity for me to buy the bits that i needed to go on this race and i really struggled with it i was like wouldn't it be better if i just asked people to sponsor me and put that money into sponsorship and if i can't afford to do it maybe i shouldn't but the overwhelming message i got from people was that they were basically living vicariously through what i was doing and because they couldn't do it they wanted to give me money to be able to do it to see me do it and see me achieve something and i think it's the same with him i think there's so many people that would love to do that sort of thing and if you have got the money if you are a philanthropist or if you are a, a millionaire or whatever it is and you don't have the time or you don't or you, you don't you don't think you could do that but you're inspired by it being able to support someone that does do it is an amazing thing and i'm sure lots of listeners have also had this when you're raising money for charity by running the marathon you know you pay to go and do these marathons be it 50 quid mm. or 500 quid and a lot of people say to me why are you doing it why don't you just give the 500 quid to the charity and it's like because i want to inspire other people to go out and do it so if i can inspire four people to go out and run a marathon and all those people raise 250 quid you know that's that's a thousand pounds for the charity um i just think people kind of see it in a, in a, a very weird way but, but you're right and that's the thing money is the root of all evil and if, if everyone had loads of money we could all go out and do nice things but it is nice to see humans giving other humans the opportunities that, that they wish that they could take do you know what i mean yeah and, and i mean what a legend the fact that he he clearly intends to pay all of the money he's received himself that he feels would have gone to charities, he clearly intends to pay that back over time as he earns enough money to be able to do that, which a lot of people wouldn't. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think we are we are 
changing the perception of how we view donations is changing and GoFundMe and, and pages like that are so new and you, you, you find that there's suddenly a campaign to to make a really nice potato salad and someone's raised £800,000 for doing something along those lines yeah, yeah. and so that is changing that, that changes the rules really to think well people are just happy to give for entertainment and so I'm no longer feeling as if you know, you, I can understand. I'm now being part of that entertainment by doing what I'm what I'm doing, and I, and I think in ten years' time, we will have quite, especially the number of charities who use money to spend on marketing. Yeah. Which it, it does it does annoy me because that is money that could be used elsewhere, but then it does generate more money, and, and actually, it's part of the consumers. If we agreed that we never responded to a campaign and we never paid to any charity that advertised, then they'd all stop. And but I. Think the donations would go down as well, but um, so well, this is the thing to, it, run, a really interesting to that run a charity, right? You need to have people, you need to employ people to run that charity. You can't just you don't get uh, I'm a trustee for charity and I do that for free, but uh, but it's a lot of work. And you know, I'm having to build a website, I'm having to get all this, get the all the social media stuff going. That's my bread and butter, that's what I'm paid to do by other companies. But for the charity, you're not. You do need to have people in the infrastructure and pay for them and pay for the marketing and pay for the exposure. One of the ones that does my head in is Street Child. I love Street Child, I love them, but mm-hmm. their marketing is everywhere on Facebook. And I think it's probably because I've done it that I get targeted, but there does seem to be a lot of it. But mm. having said that, Everyone knows who Street Child are. They're raising a lot of money and a lot of people going out to Sierra Leone who wouldn't otherwise be going out to Sierra Leone. So it does, it does work itself out. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's, it's, it's the words of a few people, you know, the ones that are like, oh, hang on a minute, aren't you supposed to be raising money for charity? It's even, you know, even I'm going to mention his name, the Wigan Runner. It needs to be a little bit more transparent what is going on with funds because a lot of the time some of those funds will fund the activity that that person's doing but you need to be transparent with how much is actually going to charity. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. Yeah, and the same with MD at Math and Disability. You can get a charity place if you raise eight grand mm-hmm. and you know that the cost is three grand of that is going to... St- uh, the math in Sabra, I assume, which actually, you don't know. Well, maybe it's, the same it's more, maybe it's if less. You, if but... you want to go to Panama, Namibia, and you raise five grand, your place is free. But your place is not free because they still have to get you out. They still have to pay for the guides, still have to pay for your food, still have to do... Like, it's part of that money will pay for that stuff. But Rat Race are very, very transparent with how they do things. So if you want to go and see the figures, you can go and see the figures of how much they spend on these mm. things. So, yeah, it's just about transparency and it's about people not being dicks and not being selfish and not... And basically not committing fraud don't commit fraud kids it's bad but it'd be really interesting to know if, if he now feels he's because he clearly had a, a mission to do one thing in his life mm-hmm. and whether he now feels maybe we should, maybe we should have asked this at the time <laughs> maybe yeah. it was going on for quite a while um, but whether he now feels he's done that or whether this has actually unlocked something else in him I don't think and, I think with people like him you, you're never done you're never ever done I reckon that he'll have something else on the boil because you finish stuff like that and you're just like okay what's next like what's the next most mental thing that I can do and you know I'm I always feel like I'm right at the, when I listen to people like him I'm like I, I'm right at the beginning of my ultra journey if you want to call it that and there's so many other people that have done so many other things and there's so many other things to be done that I feel like mm. I've got my ne- the next eight years planned out you know like I want to go do dragons back on do the spine but I'm not ready for those things yet but 
and things that no one else has done as well you know like what he did was completely insane I would love mm. to run across America I would love to run across Australia but I know that that's not going to happen right now so I don't know what his next thing will be but I bet you money there is something else in there he's probably at home now watching loads of Netflix to see what, what journey he can recreate yeah, and I, I, this is what's interesting as well about fastest known times is that I still can't quite get my head around how they come up and what they actually mean to people. But it's, it's it's now possible to instead of before where it had to have really cohesive story like run across America, easy concept, people can get that. Suddenly you, you chuck in FKT, and it could be oh, I'm on the yeah. Brixton KT and it sounds as if it's a genuinely impressive and important yeah. challenge yeah. but the Brixton FKT could just be that to my route through Brixton on Australia suddenly there are now all these opportunities people can once you've got the credibility that the that, that Rob obviously does mm-hmm. and um, and the support through social media you can then take on more challenges and actually because as, as you know we've kind of established so much of it is about PR and is about how you position and market it yeah he can suddenly take on challenges that basically do his rat race Ryan where he takes on the challenge that sounds impressive without necessarily having to do something incredibly hard knowing that he can then not put as much into it and get more money for charity and get more PR are out of it that, that then feeds it all so the the options i think become a lot easier once you've done a challenge along these lines yeah, yeah. because fkts suddenly are everywhere and and the new flavor of the month yeah yeah fkts are literally everywhere like i've got the fkt from my house to the pub do you know what i mean it's like but i don't understand how people are judging it like it's um it's we think we got the fkt for crossing panama and jim's like no one's ever done this before and i'm like have they not the same way we have how do we know that they haven't like there's nowhere that we can go and check that like how do we how do you know i reckon whoever did whoever made the canal whoever did the canal first there must have been someone who went across it but then it might have taken them months and months because these would have been when was the panama canal made i'm going to say i know the 60s was the Suez. 50s of Suez. and what panama panama canal made I'm going to Google 20s? It. Yeah, it might have been the 20s. But, um... Yeah. So, but... But is it something you could have could apply for? Or did you go into it thinking we need to track well enough and document what we're doing to get the FKT? Um, it was just one... Day, basically, it was, can you do it one day on foot and by kayak, right? So the kayak that was only... It was like nine kilometres. So it really wasn't that much kayaking. It was mainly on foot. Um, uh, I think that might mean though, it's those seven miles that he went back for though that means you haven't done it you can't those, run on water you can't, I'm, I mean I'm good I have run on water but it has to be frozen um, <laughs> but yeah it's um, it's I think that it, and I think it's that's the only way the way we did it it's the only time that it's ever been done like that which is fair enough there's no you know no one's ever done that route because there is no route the route we had to work the route out when we were there we had to you know there's no signpost in the jungle there's no national trust signs it's like we thought the jungle was safe was 13 miles it was actually 18 so I think yeah we were the first people to do it if we're going to get into nitty gritty the first people to do it in one day using that route absolutely but I'm like where can you find this stuff out like there is the FKT website mm. but how is that 
how is that a thing you know you could say you did it in the middle of the night nobody saw you like I don't I just don't get it so Dan Williams one of my um, ultra running friends he's going to go and do the FKT for the Jurassic Coast which is 100 miles one day from um, where's it from Julius where's that FKT from I'm just going to consult with my uh, FKT manager here um, <laughs> your advisor yeah my advisor <laughs> Dan's yeah um, basically it's 100 miles um, and he's like this will be the FKT and I'm like surely someone's already done that but they're like no no one's done it no one's done it and i'm like but how do we know how do we know yeah it's just mental. yeah and, and 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 actually it will be a little bit like wikipedia to begin with where it's partly about you know how are they actually going to decide which gets on there and which routes and and i'm sure this will happen over the next two three years where it's going to be established that it has to be a known footpath or it has to be at least a certain distance and it has to be something that is recognized on you know geographically in a certain way because if not it's there's just going to be thousands and thousands of fkts where you go on there and, and there actually it just becomes like looking through the early days of wikipedia where half of it's made up half of it's um irrelevant and so it'll be interesting to see how it actually developed Develops. In fact, we should maybe um, we, we should potentially do a, a podcast on FKT and talk to someone from that website and someone who's done a few of them because I know there's look at people like Killian and um, even people like Ryan Atkins from OCR. He's I know he's keen to, to take someone up in Canada as well, and it, it seems to be it, it's it's quite a nice thing to do in your training. That's that's what's great great about them is it's it's an easy win it's the a little crown while you're training for something else so you can go out and just do an fkt well actually today today after this i'm going out to do the fkt on the hot fuzz half marathon which i've made up and it's a run from shepton mallet to wells where hot fuzz was filmed and then back again so i'm going to hold the fkt for the hot fuzz half marathon for, for at least a day <laughs> Are you gonna are you gonna stop in the Safeway while you're there? We're gonna as, stop as part in the Safeway. The I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a Swan when I get there and run with it under my arm. Um, and then we're gonna actually go to the pub, Swan pub, sit there, have a pint, and then run back again. So it's it's all gonna be good. There's gonna be loads of photos. It's gonna be amazing. If it is a really decent route, I'm gonna get the uh, Southwest Doobadders to all come and do it together because I think it'd be hilarious. That'd be great. I'm, try- I'm just trying to remember elements of the film. So uh, yeah, my favourite Adam Buxton was on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doobadders. Well. What do you think of FKTs? I know we've had a few people like Craig and um, people like... The neoprene uh, dwarf, Lee Stewart Evans. Of course, of course. Lee Stewart Evans and Run Lampy Run. I know quite a few of you taken on FKTs in the past. Is it something that you think is a trend that is a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Should it catch on? Does it need to be regulated? What rules should be set in place? Um, it's quite interesting cause for a topic because it's one of those ones where we're in the, the definition stage still so let us know um, letters at badboyrunning.com you can uh, message us directly through Facebook or get into the Facebook group and tag us in there and we'll, uh, we'll feed, it, feed it back on the next next few shows but actually we're probably going to do this as a show at some point and get some people who are real experts in because it's something I think the running world needs to get its head I around. I think we're going to struggle to get a real expert. I don't think anybody really understands or knows how to measure an FKT. I think it's a really interesting topic. I think it could be up for quite a fiery debate. Yeah. In fact, we could potentially have a debate style where we say 
one person says FKTs are good for sport, one person says FKTs are bad for sport. We've not done that before, but that could be quite fun. One person says FKTs are nonsense, nonsense, nonsense! <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still undecided. I, I think it's fun, whether it's a good thing or not. I think it could be quite distraction from um, anything that gets more people into running and publicizes running more. I think it's a, it's an easy way for running to get in headlines in local racks and things along those in blogs on people's Facebook feeds. So that surely can only be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, when you get the FKT, and of, of course I hold two FKTs, one for Namibia and one for Panama, um, it's great when you get it because you're the first person to do it. But then when you start to stress yourself out about the fact that I need to run the southwest coastal path in under 24 hours, that's when running does, does, isn't fun for me anymore. So if I can go and be the first and get the FKT for being the first, great. Anything else, I'm not interested. Yeah, and, uh, and actually maybe... In, in, for example, in Instagram, it's the people who in the early days were doing all the follow, like, run away, unfollow, who were using hashtags correctly, that really established themselves and got all the followers the same on Twitter, you know, really got their presence. Maybe while it's still the early days, we should hack the system and just somehow upload our Strava every run directly onto the fkt website yeah. and then come up with a little program that changes the name to something sounding epic we'll just put in loads of words like mountain mixed with northwest mixed with um cliffhanger yeah and so at the end of the year we can have 300 fkts all around the local area we live in but automatically uploaded so we are the fkt fkt kicks yeah, well, that's amazing. In fact, you know what? From this day forward, FYB is no longer what you shout at people when you see them in a do-bad t-shirt. Now it's FKT. That's what you shout at them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got... Actually, while we're here, before we round off the episode, FYB is now officially on Urban Dictionary. Uh, come on. This, this come is on. This is amazing. This is amazing. Come um, on. Have they, got, on. have they got it right, though? Cut. Have they got it right? Is it... Is it because I was listening to that 150th the other day with Anya's story about her looking it up and it saying "fuck you, bitch," and I was laughing my head off. So have they got the definition of it right? That, that is why I um I, I, I must confess I, I was the person who submitted it, even though I submitted under a different name. Okay. Um, iTunes five star rating, similar story, but um yeah, the I, I thought just in case, as more and more people are well the do bad at top more people are shouting fuck you buddy in the street or, F- or FYB in various chat rooms we need to get it somewhere online so that we can actually find at least some kind of explanation that makes them feel not as if they've just been verbally assaulted so you know what so, at, at yeah. the running show when people were buying tops a lot of people at the running show bought tops because they liked the slogan on the back and we, we were having to take them to one side and be like okay when you wear this top people might shout things at you <laughs> and they're like oh what sort of things and they shout at me and I'm like well there's a lot of things but this is the main one and most of them went that's amazing and still bought the top which I just thought was brilliant <laughs> Brilliant. And maybe that should be part of our marketing campaign. Don't get shouted enough. Yeah. Enough. Don't get stalked enough. Don't get abused enough. Why not wear one of these? Tops? Yeah. Well, should we uh, should we round it off there? Yeah. Amazing episode. Amazing guest. Um, so if you, if you enjoyed that episode, I definitely recommend the Larry Morgan episode where we talk about the six six three three ultra, which she ran. It's about three hundred fifty miles, I think, through the Arctic Circle. That's probably the biggest challenge 
that's comparable to this or I yeah. can think of, of of the guests we've had any that you'd recommend you've enjoyed um, yeah I mean anything that Rhonda Marie's done kind of is this, is a similar thing in that it's unbelievable in the fact that she can't see and she's doing this stuff so anything with Rhonda Marie's brilliant also um, just if people are interested Nikki Love is running across Australia this year um, and she's going to go in out for FKT on that and uh, so if you go to her website you can have a look at that and when she's done it we'll get her on and uh, have a chat with her about it because obviously Australia is one of those places that will kill you and it is massive um, so I think that's really interesting and it's nice to look at these people's challenges before they actually do them and follow them while they do them them as well as looking back on them so go and have a look at our website because that's really interesting yeah and, and that will be actually because australia has a host of challenges the fact that there's only cities on the south coast mainly and they're miles apart yeah so uh, really different statistics but um well thanks for listening guys if you have enjoyed this episode please don't friends please leave us a five-star review on itunes or wherever you listen to it it makes a massive difference and um you the good thing is about something like itunes you can actually save the name change the name the person who's reviewing and so we've had some recent ones from cliff richards and i can't remember the other famous name that's been very very humorous so have a bit of a play be uh be a little bit cheeky in there and uh subscribe tell your friends and thanks for listening Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>